Welcome to the Soccer Podcast, where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. My name is Sebastian, and this week I'm joined here by Dwayne. What's up, Sebastian? And get it, ready it, to it, kick it, off this uh, it, school year. It's feel, it feels like we haven't recorded the podcast in like three months, but it's only been a week. Well, I mean, we did have an episode last week. So for, for reference, those of you that were like, wait, this episode last week only had just like went straight into an interview. Yes, it did. Partially because uh, we had this interview recorded from the convention with Scott Mosier, head coach at Sally's. Um, and we, we wanted to save it for high school season. We wanted to save it right before high school season. So it was it was basically right there. Um, but but between Dwayne and I being very busy last week, we like honestly, I ran out of time or I ran out of the ability to prioritize being able to actually sit down for 20 minutes or 30 minutes to record the podcast. So it was just the easiest thing to do, which is literally just put the interview out. Hey, I went to a wedding for a former Delaware Gatorade Player of the Year for soccer. There you go. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So I didn't. I was working. Um, <laughs> I was in the middle of preseason. Um, preseason, man. How's preseason going? So, yeah. So Odessa soccer, Odessa boys soccer preseason. Uh, second week is done. Out of three, so no practice today. Boys are off today. Uh, we're back at it on Monday when we go play Milford. Um, give him a three day weekend. Give him a three day weekend. Uh, well, tomorrow we're doing some volunteering. We're doing some good for the community. Uh, we'll, we'll, mandatory we'll volunteering? No, not mandatory. <laughs> absolutely not mandatory. Uh, we will be at the uh, Odessa Fire Company, which is legitimately around the corner from our from our school. Uh, we're gonna be out there washing some trucks and helping helping the Odessa Fire Company out. So uh, shout out to Chief Wilson for for uh, for all the communication and and allowing our boys to to come out there and uh, and help out. Um, fire. It, <laughs> it's a volunteer <laughs> fire company. It's a volunteer fire company, man. So I feel like it's it's good to to be able to support the people that if worst case scenario something does happen, those are the guys that are coming out. Those are those are the the. the uh, the men and women that are coming out and helping us out. So uh, high pressure fire hoses, baby. So we're we're gonna be out there. I don't know what we're doing. Uh I, I you know I just told them we wanted to come out and volunteer and help out. So I don't know if we're you know they got you know they're 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 going mudding with the fire truck right before <laughs> whatever they're doing. Uh but we'll be out there. <laughs> we'll be out there. I'm bringing <laughs> I'm I'm bringing the I'm bringing I'm bringing the kids as well my kids uh so you never know maybe Ethan might might take the fire truck for a joy ride yeah I mean that's that's pretty sweet what I will say is I think I told you this already but you got to come down to the fire school next year when they have the that's day yes. in the event yes um fire schools right down here in Dover and and for for put it in the context like for we talk about fire safety fire prevention all that stuff they this is where the fire companies in Delaware train. And I think there's even some outside people, like some Pennsylvania, Maryland people that come over and, yeah. and do the stuff they have set up there and the stuff that you see them go through on a daily basis is kind of crazy. So you get to see it up close. Yeah. Like from so, a training perspective. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. So, um, so yeah, we're, we gave them a three week, three day. We've been doing two days for the last like week and a half. Uh, so, you know, Tuesday play day, we played on Saturday. So it's, it, we felt like it was the right time to give them some time off. Uh, we'll be back at it on Tuesday and we'll close out the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday training, and then Friday off. And then we come back to school that next week. So you uh, play against one of my players on Tuesday. 
Uh, oh, from Milford? I guess you can get a waiver to play high school soccer a year early. Really? Apparently. Interesting. Okay. I got a waiver. I was like, wait, hold on. Like, this doesn't mathematically make sense. He yeah. Like, get a waiver. Okay. Waiver. All right. Waiver right, wave, 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 wave in. Waiver in. Hey, listen, when you got a kid that shows up, you have a fitness test at 7.30, practice over at 7.30, you have a fitness test from 7.30 to 8. He messages you and says he can't get there because the team had a scrimmage or something. And he shows up just for the fitness test. Got a dog. Got a dog. Got a dog. There you go. Uh, well, speaking of speaking of your team, well, let's let's jump into our interview uh, and see who who we brought on the podcast today for for an interview, which has been uh, which is pretty fun. All right, so we'll we'll go to that now. All right, Dwayne, uh, I'm gonna let you lead this because this is uh, yeah, it's my this wheelhouse. Is, this is your wheelhouse. These are, I mean, even though I know that the, the two guys we're interviewing, uh, this is uh, this is your your new your new adventure uh, that you started recently that we've talked about before. So, so I'm going hey, to let you take over. I was able to get my technical director on the podcast. Let's just put it like that. It's That's enough said right there, right? Listen, for, for the, for the three years that we've had this podcast, we were never, we were never able to get our previous technical director on the podcast. <laughs> so you already, you're already a step ahead. We're already a step ahead. We're making moves already, but um, yeah, on the podcast today, we have, you know, technical director and, um, your title is hold on uh executive director for route one sports josh tucker and then we've got vice chairman of route one sports and director of coaching rj dina how you guys doing pretty good man happy to be here with you guys feel like it's been a long time coming <laughs> yeah oh it has the trust us yeah definitely it's a long time coming um so so josh this is uh you've you've now beaten you've been chad reed at being on the podcast uh probably the only time i've beaten chad in my life so we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll <take> <laughs> um chad chad was in an episode like next to us while we recorded it but refused to be on the on the episode so um so so now you've you've beaten him so uh all right let's uh let's let's talk about route one and let's talk about dfa and and where where the crossover is and where the differences are so uh josh i'll let you let you start so what what is route one and how did it start and what are you guys doing so uh route one is uh is our nonprofit youth sports entity um we have a couple different um different organizations that operate underneath of that, um, that kind of provide different services and opportunities, uh, to the, to the Kent and Sussex County community. So, uh, the first, the first branch that we offer are, are camp summer camps. Um, we ran, I think seven, uh, summer camps this, this past summer, um, two at Sussex Academy, uh, one at Cesar Rodney, uh, one at Lake Forest. And then we had a couple, couple local camps at the, uh, at the turf complex for high school and middle school age and elementary school age kids. Um, the, the second facet is the Delaware football Academy, which is our travel club, uh, which is run out of the turf complex as well as Sussex Academy. Um, and then our third, our third branch is um, like our winter training, um, kind of like a recreational grassroots, um, introductory program, like a select program as some organizations would call it, um, just providing a segue between the recreational programs, um, for those players looking to make the jump into the, into the travel program. 
Um, so we uh, we came to fruition uh, in the fall of 23 um, is kind of when it started. And we recognized that there is a large um, difference in income and availability and opportunity, uh, both in Kent and Sussex County. And, and because um, because of that, that difference, um, we just felt like there was more that could be done. Um, obviously, you know, when we talk about U.S. soccer, we talk about the play to pay to play model. Right. And how how much how so much talent um, doesn't get the opportunity or, or doesn't even get to make make it on the radar in, in terms of, of competitive soccer, um, let alone on the grassroots level as well. Um, I think something that a lot of people don't realize is, you know, even though some of the program fees here locally are, you know, a hundred bucks for, for a season. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a utility bill. That's a grocery bill for families. And it's not, it's not necessarily, you know, a, a, you know, requirement for them to to have an opportunity to play. You know what I mean? It's more so if they can afford it, they can, but there's many that can't. Um, so we, we made the decision that we wanted to kind of try to rewrite the script a little bit, if you will, um, and really uh, encompass focus on the opportunity, not necessarily so much the financial, um, the financial side of the game. And, and I think what we've been able to do so far in our first inaugural year um, launching 20, 23 i'm sorry i said fall of 23 we came to fruition that was fall 2022 yeah. my bad yeah. um but uh but really really we've been able to kind of kind of stamp our flag um in the lower part of the state and and i think we were able to serve close to 700 families this summer um and we're looking to expand that into the summer of 2024 with some additional school districts coming on board um i think that there's a lot of people that have become aware of of what we're doing and how we're doing it and they're they're realizing that this is really based on the community and building building the opportunities through our through our outreach programs and the, and the different facets of what our organization does um it, it's super important that I think you end up with the staff that you have and even even going through your board, right? You got Zach Hearn and Kyle Wheatley on board as well. Um, so you you have a local tie into the community, right? And obviously that's a that's a huge part of it. Um why why Kent County and Sussex County? I guess would be the 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 biggest question. Well I think I think obviously geographically it makes the most sense for us. Um and and you know, as you kind of look at the staff and, and, you know, obviously Kyle, Dwayne and myself, um, you know, we're, we're Dover High. All day, every day. Um, and, you know, when we look back historically at, you know, at, at, you know, CDSA back in the day was the, was the Central Delaware Soccer Association. Yeah. Um, you know, I was a product of it. Um you know, Kyle Wheatley was, so is Dwayne. I mean, we see the importance of it. RJ, RJ was down at CSA for a short spell. Um, you know, he had ties to the Delaware Union. I think it was MOT Soccer Club back in the day, uh, maybe when RJ played. But, you know, we as the local as the local soccer guys, we understand the value and the importance of, of the pro- programming that we're going to provide. Um, and who better to figure out solutions to the marketplaces that we grew up in and we really have we really have a true education of what what our marketplaces and our communities how they operate the logistics of that and and who better to try to try to lead that lead that change than guys that were products and are, are fully vested in these in these communities i think i think it just made sense as we looked at the group as as pieces just kind of started falling into place um and ironically like you know Dwayne, obviously i've known Dwayne for forever um but just the timing for him to kind of come on board as all of this was was really starting to really take off um you know it just seemed like the timing just made sense the personnel that came on board and the and the staff that were reaching out to get involved and and kind of got wind of what we were doing it it really just 
they really just snowballed to a little bit bigger, I think, than what we originally had um, had planned in our in our first preliminary meeting. So, um, you know, we're we're community guys. We love our communities. We want to see these kids have better opportunities than we had, and and we're going to make that happen no matter what. Um, RJ, what is this? What does this mean from a from a high school perspective? There's a there's a few high school coaches within your staff, right? You got you got you, uh, Toe is in there as well. Uh, DC's doing some some of the summer summer camp things as well. So what does that mean from a high school perspective, and and how does that help your pathway, whether it's Dover, CR, Sussex Academy, and even the other schools in the, in the area? Yeah. So, I mean, from a high school standpoint, now we, we have local programming that, that is at a competitive level and we can essentially have players from, you know, whatever it is, middle school level that, you know, if they're in the, the Kent County area, now they're playing club soccer at a competitive level at a younger age. They go to their high school programs. Now they're competing at a much higher level. And one of the things like when I first came down, um, to Sussex Academy and, and into the Sussex County area, that there's so much talent here that that just that there isn't enough programming for them or programming at an affordable cost. That uh, you know w- what we have been able to provide, we've reached you know over 500 kids at the club level for at least tryouts, um, just based on the locations of you know our site at Sussex Academy and at the Delaware Turf. Now we're just providing opportunities for these kids to be playing all year round. You know, with my girls programming specifically, we had a great year in this past uh, spring season, but only like four of my players have been playing club soccer, you know, the entire fall and winter timeframe. Now with this, this new club, what we've been able to do, the location of training sites for, you know, 50% of the high school girls age groups, I've got now instead of four club players for for specifically my high school team, I'm going to have over 10. And that's significant in terms of opportunities, allowing these kids to play all year round. It just makes them better soccer players. You know, coaching up north, playing up north um, in, in Delaware, there's a lot more club opportunities for these kids to be playing. And so historically, it's been the the northern schools that have dominated Delaware high school soccer. And just being now in the Henlopen Conference for at least, you know, almost four years now, the teams down here are competitive, but you can tell that they've just never had structured coaching other than three months out of the year. So if we can tap into, you know, the talent and provide year-round club training and different programming of all different levels – you know, that is affordable at the same time. I think that from a high school standpoint, you're going to see the South start to really catch up to those teams up North and, and start to dominate. I mean, one of the glaring statistics that, you know, we looked at last year um, from boys and girls soccer, the teams that are making the tournament now almost a 50, 50 split from the North and the South 20 teams make the Delaware high school um, state tournament at the division one and division two level. And we had 10 teams just from the Henlopen conference, which is all the Southern schools that's significant. And now if we can provide an opportunity for them to get the same amount of time training throughout the fall, throughout the winter, those off seasons for girls in high school, boys, boys and girls soccer, 
I mean, you're going to watch as Delaware High School becomes an extremely competitive um, environment. And, you know, the the scores that, that often you see in the first couple of rounds of the state tournament that, you know, are kind of significant blowouts or, or whatever the case may be, like that, that's going to lessen to where it was extremely competitive when we were in, um, like when Dwayne and I were in high school and when, when, you know, Josh was in high school, you know, where those games were very competitive. There was one state tournament with the division one and two split over the years. I think that it's been pretty lopsided, but I think the competitive level has and will significantly change, um, you know, because we're providing more opportunities and, and a, an opportunity to play at a competitive level year round. I think part of it too, and and I and I will admit that I was when I first got to Delaware, the idea of high school soccer and the at times almost this weird competition that happens between club and high school, even though for the most part they're not in the same season. So, uh, but there was this weird competition that, and until I really, you know, with Odessa being there for now my fourth year on the girls' side, and you know, just starting my the 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 first year with the boys the importance of the relationship with a club and the, rela- the relationship with even the club coaches. So the fact that there's, there's, you know, three, four or five of you guys that are involved in the high school part of it, even though you're competing against each other, right. Even though that I'm sure that DC and toe have a, have a rivalry going on, but you know, the Dover CR rivalry is always there. Ultimately you want, you want the growth for your players. Cause it's, that's the only way your programs are going to grow. Right. Um, so what is that what what does that do from a from a club coaching perspective to have such a large number of high school staff members and uh you know Tucker Dwayne who played in those high schools as well what is what does that do Well I I think from the club standpoint one of the things that that I think we we often have an issue with is the the balance and the maintenance of the player throughout a long high school season. And I know, you know, from a standpoint where I have a large majority of my guys playing for, you know, Toe's age group um, here at the club, we have conversations all the time about, you know, hey, you have club training tonight, but so-and-so is going to miss it, you know, because we, we've got, you know, three games this week, you know, and instead of me having to choose, like with some of my girls players that are playing Eastern Shore, um, you know, club in Maryland, there's no balance of these players in terms of, you know, hey, you got to go a little bit lighter in the session or more of a recovery this, you know, this day. I have to hold them out of training sessions and I'm just telling them, hey, it's a recovery. You know, I want you to, to jog here and there, get a good stretch, jump into a little bit of the lighter technical stuff. But when we, we get into, you know, match play type of, you know, uh, situations within the sessions, I sit them out because they're, they're just run down. They're training four nights a week for club. And then they're training, you know, with me three days and two games, sometimes in a week. Now I have a relationship with Toe and with DC and with some of these other high school coaches to say, hey, you know, from a club standpoint, we're going to go a bit lighter or the high school session they, they you know, we're going to go a bit lighter, but there's a balance now that we can have a conversation and they can give me insight on this player at the club session or from a high school standpoint, maybe toe gives me some information on some of the Dover guys that I'm coaching um, at the club level, but there's a balance in it and a relationship and sort of a fluidity between the player that goes four or five, six days a week for high school 
and still two nights a week for club. And we've got now, you know, high school players that are going to be playing national league, um, you know, and, and we'll be playing at a high level training much earlier in their fall high school seasons for club than they have in the past, just to prepare for those matches. Now we can have a conversation with these coaches, you know, Hey, so-and-so is going to sit out because, you know, in the high school session, we, we have maybe two or three sessions before the next game. That's your rest and recovery time to prepare for, you know, whatever you've got club wise and during the weekend, or you can miss this, you know, training session, but we can now balance the player out through that fall or spring season that doesn't burn them out. And we have this relationship where, you know, beforehand it felt like we really didn't have many conversations with the club coaches about how to, you know, maintain the player's health. Yeah. No, that's huge. Um, if I can jump in real quick, yeah, go ahead, I, go ahead. I, I think the injury prevention that comes from that, that, um, that relationship between the club and the high school side. So, so I think, I think, you know, and I'll, I'll use, you know, 20 years ago when I was playing club soccer, if you missed a club training session or a club match, it was the end of the world, just as much as you missed a high school match. Whereas, you know, and I, and I think obviously, as you look back, you look at some players that were literally playing 365 and the amount of injuries that were sustained because of that fatigue as you came to the end of the high school season, you know, entering the, the college showcase kind of timeframes and some of the, some of the better league play. Um, and, and I think one thing that we've been able to reduce here in the last couple of years because of these relationships is extending the player, you know, lifetime of, of being able to not deal with such, you know, injuries or knocks or, or seeing, seeing those continuously increase or get worse because of that overexertion. Um, and hopefully that's something that we can see take a little bit more of a precedence across the state. Cause they're still, you know, we're still seeing top players getting injured because they are playing entirely too much between both club and, and high school. And I think we have to find a good balance. And, and because again, at the end of the day, it's the players that are impacted, not necessarily the programs with those, with those injuries. Yeah. Well, for sure. And then I was going to ask you, um, it's a perfect segue. How do you manage, how do you manage the ones that play multi-sports? Right. Because especially like on the girls side, they're in the they're in their club season right now, but they might be playing volleyball, running cross country, field hockey and and things, like that, especially down south where field hockey is, is huge. Right. And then uh, so how do you how do you manage that part of it? So we slide our training sessions um, for our for our zone two and our high school age groups to seven thirty to nine. Um and- either at, at the turf facility or, or SAS. Um, so that way they have time to get, get done their scholastic responsibilities, get a little something to eat, get some homework done before they report to the training ground. Um, but really it comes down to, you know, just like we talked about the communication between the club coaches and the high school coaches, it comes down to the communication between the coaches and the parents and the players to understand expectations and the, and managing the workload um, across multiple facets. And I think um you know, Delaware, it seems like we have a lot of players that play a lot of different sports. Um, so just having those straightforward, candid conversations, you know, with the players and where, you know, where are they looking to go? So, you know, if we have a player that, you know, we know that they're going to be going to, to play collegiate field hockey, we know that before we before we go into the season. Um and again, maybe that's a player that shows up once every two weeks until field hockey season's over. Then they dive into, you know, in the offseason kind of with both feet to, to push the development um, platform as high as they can while they're with us. Um, but it's really you got to get to know those players. And and for the most part, a, a lot of our a lot of our girls are, are focused on soccer. Um, and we've been really fortunate to kind of rebuild the girls programs downstate. Um, I think currently right now we've got two high school high school girls age groups. Um 
both Dwayne and RJ are running those those two teams. Um, and we're really starting to fill back up on the zone one side to kind of rebuild from the from the COVID drop off because I think a lot of a, a lot of competition between the different sports really hurt the girls programs down here and i think we're slowly going to start seeing that that turn and and a lot of that i think is because we've just been open about hey listen if you're going to play multiple sports let's just have a conversation about where you are and what your focus needs to be and it seems like parents were kind of taken back that that was kind of our approach on <laughs> on starting starting that dialogue and we're not like well what do you mean you can't show up to both training sessions a week you you need to be here for soccer you can't miss this for field hockey or cross country or volleyball or whatever that is so i i, I just think setting setting the clear you know expectations and and level of involvement right out of the gate has been has just been massive on 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 sorting that out yeah what yeah, a, especially what a, on the high school girls side i mean like i feel like the high school girls side is probably the hardest season to manage just because girls soccer is in the spring but then you know, field hockey's in the fall, volleyball's in the fall, cross country's in the fall. So, and for boys soccer, it's, it's the opposite, right? If you go and play lacrosse or whatever, it's in the spring, so you can kind of balance each other out. But girls soccer, man, it's just, it's so tough to balance. Well, but what a, what a, <laughs> what, what a concept, right? The idea of, of actually communicating with your players and, 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 and making sure or uh or accepting the fact that they're human beings and not just a number in the back of a jersey right like it seems like it and josh and i have definitely had this conversation for a long time about this idea that like it is about the idea of it knowing the individual players right it's it's not just uh the number and and i'd rather have you show up at 100 percent than you coming in every time at 50 percent because you're exhausted mentally and physically right like um it does and, and at the same time recognizing that um, if you are going to, if you are going to try to battle the idea of high school sports, uh, usually you're going to come on the losing end of it because high school sports are so important and the social aspect of it alone, just, you know, you're just going to lose out on that. Especially if you got a senior, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're definitely not missing anything. They're senior year of high school. Um, yeah. So, um, so let's talk about, uh, let's talk a little bit about the style of play doing, doing, doing have daily conversations and he, he talks to me about his training sessions and things like that so uh obviously i know Dwayne is a coach but but what is the style of play what if i come out and watch uh for example as an odp scout right uh what what am i going to see what's what's the what's the dfa uh player look like to a certain extent um we we play a, a high energy high work rate style of football um you know we want to we want to press higher up the field we want to create uh, you know attacking opportunities as as high up the pitch as we possibly can um but also with the recognition that we've got to utilize possession to to manage the game and it's also you know manage manage the other team a little bit um you know in each i think i think the one thing that that some teams get stuck on we don't have one set formation or specific style because i think the biggest hang up in a lot of the a lot of the um games that i watch whether it's professional national team whatever i mean our our systems of play change depending on our opponent depending on our personnel that's available for the games who can travel who can who has who has conflicts or not so it is it is very common for for us to see you know multiple formational changes between a you know three to five weeks like you may come week one and we may be in a four two three one um you come the next week and depending on our personnel we're in a three five two or a three four two one um just to just to kind of manage um manage the personnel and and kind of tweak some things based on what we've seen on on uh 
you know, on previous matches or what our, what our analytics are showing, or, you know, we'll, we'll get now we've been using VO, um, you know, from this summer, we had a couple different, get different cameras last year, but it's not uncommon for game film to be sent out to five or six of our senior guys. And, you know, we sit down for an hour and we, we just, we just spitball ideas, talk about different facets of, um, of the formation and just executions. And it, it it's really an evolution. I mean, and, and I think, you know, really for us, it's, it's going to continue to evolve. And I think, um, you know, the principles that we that we have now may not always be exactly exactly the same as as this thing grows and the and the game grows down down south. I think our biggest um our biggest limitation right now is obviously the talent level. Um I think in the majority of the clubs that you look at downstate, you know, we have out of an 18 player, 11 side roster, right? I think you've got a good starting eleven and then you know you don't always know what you're gonna get between twelve to eighteen. And again, I think as as this thing develops and grows, I think you're going to end up with extremely strong 18 player rosters to go play at some of these higher levels. So um, I just think it, I think it's going to evolve. And RJ, feel free to jump in if I'm if I'm rambling at all um, <laughs> or check something. But, um, you know, I think I know. I, I, no, I, yeah, I totally I mean, I, I agree. Josh and I have been, you know, aligned with this idea that we have to make the kids as like as successful or create a platform for them to be as successful as we can. So if we're stuck in, in our ways with everyone's going to play in the club of four, two, three, one, it may not work. Or, or if everyone in the club is stuck playing a three, five, two, we just not every group has wingbacks or, you know, whatever the case may be. You know, we have to find the balance for each individual group to find success because from a club standpoint, that's what's going to keep them around and, and, you know, allow for them to develop in the game because they're finding success based on the guys that are around them or the girls that are around them. You know, so it's important for us, you know, from day one of training, if we're with a new group, you know, is, is you know, we teach the positions on the field, one through 11 and the importance and the roles of the six, eight, and the 10, no matter what the shape is or, or formation, whether we're in a low block or a high block, whatever we're playing, um, you know, if they understand those roles and then we can shift from, you know, maybe it's a box midfield or maybe, you know, we're playing a traditional, you know, four, two, three, one, where there's only three central players, whatever the roles are, if we play with pivot sixes or two tens, they know what the role is. And then there's slight adjustments in the shape when we go. We're teaching them the full game at that point. And so, you know, when we get to National League or we get to tournament play, when, when you know, we're playing for some hardware and we have to make an adjustment, you know, in the match to be able to, you know, counter better or, or defend, you know, a stronger team, you know, a, a lot more collectively, they can adjust very quickly and, and all of a sudden, you know, they become the students of the game that we preach on them. And, and you know, we've seen over the, the years in this model, um, you know, how much success these players have and, and how, you know, attractive it is for them, new players, for, for guys to come back and, and to bring their friends or, or for new players to come in. We, we've stuck by that and, and we've taught the game and, and often we can sit back and watch for, you know, periods of the match where they become the problem solvers and they adjust and then they, you know, can adjust very quickly. And it, it is allowed for us to excel on that platform. No, that's, that's great. And I think obviously Dwayne, Dwayne fits that, that mentality too. I've coached with him for a long time and 
this idea of like, hey, we started with four in the back and all of a sudden we're playing a three, six, one, and we're literally telling them, <laughs> we're literally saying, give them the ball, they'll give it back to us. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I was talking to Tuck the other day, right? And we were talking about, you know, just styles of play. And we were like, we'll start off in a four, three, three, and end up in like a two, four, four or something like that with our <laughs> outside backs flying up the field. And hey, as long as we're creating opportunities, getting shots on goal, it is what it is, right? Like, I think um, we've kind of had the same teacher kind of introduce us to the game and introduce styles of play. And and I think it kind of translates, right? Yeah. He's starting to, he's starting to four, bad, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're starting a 4-3-3 four, three, four, three, three, and all of a sudden you're in a 3-6-1. <laughs> there you go. It, it makes sense. So, RJ, I mean, you talked about you dropped National League a couple times. And, you know, people might not know what the National League is. I know that, you know, there's a four-letter word, ECNL, that always pops up or MLS Next or, you know, the former PRCL. What's the National League? National League is what the highest level of the EDP right now, and and it allows for our players to be competing, you know, on a, a national stage in their region, and then compete, um, you know, when they win that to go, you know, what to regionals, and then on from there. It's just the highest level of competition that we can provide for the kids that have been playing in, you know, their league and have been winning each tier that they've gone up in. So, you know, we have three age groups now that, that are, or, and have worked their way through um, each of these sort of lower tiers, winning, you know, finding success, winning. Um, and, and each year they win the league, they get promoted. And now we've got three age groups that are competing, um, you know, against some of the best clubs in the country. That's awesome. And the USYS model, um, from that standpoint, I think does a really good job of of having sometimes it can be confusing, as Dwayne mentioned, this idea of ECNL and ML snacks of like what is the pathway, what is <clears throat> and I think USYS in general does a really good job of saying, like, here's the steps. You go from here to there to there to there to there. Uh, and if you win here, you go there. And if you win there, you go there, and then you just, you know, you move up um sustainable well, for teams too right because i mean he just said we have three teams right yeah. not 15 teams not 20 teams just three right so individually it's it's good for those teams to to make that decision that's best for them and not taking the entire club with them and and the other club finding failure because they they just that's not what they desire the flexibility is is key and i think as you look across you know any age group of of you know and i'll just use you know the eastern shore of you know maryland and and delaware but you know as you look at it look across the majority of the clubs um you know you have those special teams you know there may be three or four you know throughout the club that that really just have those personnel and that talent level to play at a higher level um you know, and, and again, it's USYS provides that flexibility, you know what I mean? And those platforms that, you know, everybody, everybody can easily find a place at the proper level to play and compete, um, you know, and grow. And I, and I, and for us, that's, that's the model that works the best. Um, you know, I think it manages the travel expenses. I mean, we talk about, we talk about the financial, you know, restrictions that, that we deal with, you know, consistently in youth soccer and you know again there's there's families if they they can't necessarily afford to pay club fees or um you know tournament fees how can we expect families to pay you know 
$10,000 a year in travel expenses to go to regional and national events. So USYS, the, the formula that they've, that they've got, and they've been consistent. I mean, whether it was, you know, the DAs or the, you know, the ECNL, now the MLS Next, USYS has always consistently provided that platform and that opportunity. And I, and I think that consistency is, is vital for organizations such as ours to, you know, to, to stair step, you know, hopefully in three years, we've got seven, eight teams that are, that are playing in the national league, but, th- but that consistency I think is key, especially for organizations in a, in a similar situation as, as us with, with population and, and obviously financial restrictions yeah one i think it's also this idea that even though there's a lot of players in delaware it's still it feels like it that doesn't feel like it's ever it's never enough uh yep. so, so when you get this idea where you're as a whole entire club or on the girl side or the boy side you're locked into this one thing and and we've all seen it right especially with the birth year change you see it where there's there's birth years that uh across the entire state for example either are just slightly more talented at times than other birth years or there's just for whatever reason more of them you know there's yep. just, there's just birth years that just have a lot of players and and then there's a birth years where you're like oh man like i remember uh i remember in uh tucker used to coach in this age group too the 04 girls age group was for whatever reason like the lightest age group ever like there was ne- there was a lot of 05s there was a lot of 03s in 04s there was nobody it's like yep. there was no girls born in 2004 in the state of Delaware. <laughs> uh, it was it was it was legitimate. I think there was only a, a like true 04 teams. I think there might have been only like two across the entire state. Yeah, and I think that was after a couple or different organizations merged. Yeah. Just girls, they just sent girls to other ones just to create a team so yes. they had to play. Yeah, so you're talking about the entire state only had like 40 girls that were all born in the same birth year. So now you're trying to get them to compete, and the ability to even get the top 18 together is already hard enough as it is. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think it, it does provide the ability to, to, as you said, EDP has so many levels within it. So it, it allows you to find the right, the right balance between challenge and success. Um, 2007 had a lot of boys, man. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what happened in 04 with the girls, but the boys in 07, man, there's a million of them. 2006 world cup. I, I guess so. Because they're all born in 2007. Boys in Delaware. I don't, <laughs> don't know they, about the rest don't of the they world. Say, don't they say that like usually nine months after the World Cup, whoever wins the World Cup ends up with a influx of of, of kids. If we're yeah. in the country, like there's a research done on the fact that like like I think it was France that they did the research on like when France in '98 won the World Cup, there was a bunch of kids born '99. Uh, That's great. My brother was born in '99. That, that was Tucker's. That was Tucker's team. <laughs> <laughs> you got some French background in you, do it. I do. You know, my cousin played in the '90. Uh, uh, right. Yeah, that's right. There you go. Um, <laughs> so, uh, what is the what is the relationship, RJ, between you and Dwayne, for example, where you two are coaching in the same in the same uh, you're coaching two of the same teams within the same birth year two high school girls. So what is that relationship across the board in general between having two coaches coaching together or coaching two separate teams within the same birth year or group? Yeah. So I mean, our relationship, we're going to talk all the time about, you know, what the strengths and weaknesses are of the group and how maybe our sessions will differ or how they'll be the same. Um, but, but overall, it's just constant communication. We've told players because when, when you go and separate teams and you say, here's a, an A team, here's a B team, you know, you, you have sort of some, you know, B team families that want to make sure that there's a, a chance for them to get back up and play on that A team. So our communication is going to be, okay, you have, you know, maybe your top 
15 out of 18 on the roster, um, you know, for that A team. And maybe there's a bottom three. And the conversation with those families is there's a chance that, you know, there's some B team players that can come up and play. And then there's a chance that some of those A team players can go down. Um, you know, so when you have an A and a B team, um, two different teams in the same age group or, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, our relationship has to be, you know, a, a constant communication so that, you know, we're doing what's best for the players and we're making sure that, you know, we are developing the players, we're moving them to compete at a higher level if they deserve to be there or putting them maybe down to a level that is more realistic for them to find success because ultimately that's what you know we we have to do you know as coaches is create a platform for these players to find success so you know we're going to talk a lot this fall um you know and into the winter about you know where our groups are at and, and how we're coaching them what style are we going to play what benefits the team you know and is there a fluidity for the players to move up or down and not fall behind, even if, you know, we have a, a you know, player on the B team that deserves to play with the A group, you know, we have to be on the same page about how we're coaching, what style we're playing, so that, you know, those players can just move from one team to the next and not fall down a step. You know, it's kind of how we do it with the JV University at the high school level, where I've got those top JV players that are training and playing at a high level with their JV kids. Well, if my JV coach is doing and preaching the same things that I'm doing at the varsity level, then we can move those players up. It's going to be the same case between, you know, Dwayne and myself. And I mean, Dwayne, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, we, we plan on having plenty of conversations throughout this fall about where the players are at and how we're coaching them. Yeah. I mean, I think the benefit that the kids get in that age group is that they have two experienced coaches, right? Like it's not, I think sometimes Absolutely. when you get into an AB situation, sometimes it's a newer coach, you know, or sometimes it's a less experienced coach. You get two experienced coaches that have coached in the age group. you got a high a coach that coaches in high school, so he can relate things to the high school game. Um, so I think, yeah, like a lot of, uh, a lot of collaboration, a lot of communication will help, you know, benefit the kids in general on, on, you know, just how to develop because ultimately our goal is to in February to send these kids off into their high school programs and have them earn a spot on their varsity teams or have them competing for minutes and just improving based on their previous season. So, I mean, that's the goal. That's the end goal, right? So just keyword is development. Um, Josh, before we wrap up, you got, you got at least three. Is it? Is there more than three high schools that like three high school coaches? I know you have Sussex Academy, CR, and Dover. Are there? Am I missing any coaches that are coaching in any other schools? Uh, we have Zach Hearn, who's he's the assistant varsity boys coach um, at Lake Forest, and he's okay. also the head for the girls at Lake. Um, so Lake Forest is represented. Dover, CR, um, Sussex Academy, Wheatley's RJ's assistant at uh, Kyle Wheatley. He's RJ's assistant at at SAS um toes at dover i don't think we're missing anybody else are we i don't think i don't yeah. think so and All and right. part is we have we have really so sean gorman at polytech yep. um he, he's a former staff coach with us so we have a great segment into into polytech um you know we're just really we're really tied in with you know a lot of the immediate surround milford as well um you know, we're, we're tied in with all of these surrounding high school programs, um, which, you know, obviously the ultimate goal is for us to, you know, 
create, you know, the player pyramid pathway, as they call it sometimes, you know, we want to get them at the grassroots level. And, and I think as we, as we keep these open lines of, of communication with, with these high school coaches and those specific communities, um, which is why we go out and run camps in those specific districts. So Lake Forest has their own, CR has their own, SAS has their own. And again, it just kind of creates this soccer relationship with the high school staff and the high school kids come and volunteer just to kind of create that community-based emphasis for those specific programs that hopefully will create that upflow um, and increase the level of competition as rj kind of alluded to earlier in the uh in the conversation so um yeah man we're we're plugged in we're plugged in tight with with a lot of these a lot of these surrounding districts how do you manage the the internal rivalries going on in there you know what's crazy is like man like listen we're all competitive like there is 100 percent going to be trash talk the entire- <laughs> um but it man the, it, we're fortunate these guys are professionals right like um you know, we're talking about, you know, two weeks before, you know, a big match between Caesar Rodney and Sass, right? Like, listen, DC's, DC's texting me, hey, Tuck, these players got to rest. RJ, RJ sending group messages out, hey, man, these guys, these players have to rest before these games. Um, and it's, man, it's, it, it's about the success of the programs, but it's never at the cost of the players. And I think it's, and it, it's a, it's a really great, environment and relationship that we all have and camaraderie that we have that I think has made this thing really special and successful so far. It's, it's, I I, I find a hard, I have a hard time putting it into words, RJ, maybe you can articulate it a little bit better than I can, but it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. I was gonna say, we definitely encourage it. I, I know like just from a coaching standpoint, I love it. I love when the boys come to that Wednesday training in between a a Tuesday match and a Thursday match. And, you know, they're talking about this and that. And, you know, one of the things that that I think I really appreciate is that competitiveness where like, you know, Tuck said, they're, they're, they're going to trash talk and they're going to go back and forth, you know, on on who's better, how the score went or whatever the case may be. But, you know, those Dover and, and CR guys that are constantly battling once they've already played, then they're talking about, you know, how, how do we go after Polytech or what'd you guys do against here? And, and, you know, we talk about coaching collaborations and, and how, you know, we, we want to work together to, you know, figure out the, the best way to coach. Those kids are, are talking to each other at the same time through all of that trash talk on how to find success as well. What did you do? They talk about tactics. I, I love it. I, I think the fall time frame for, you know, our, our boys soccer season, when we train on those Wednesday nights for the high school age groups, like that's a special time because you're watching these kids compete against each other the day before and then play together that next day, talking about how, you know, the, the next guy's going to, you know, be, you know, competitive or, or, or take on the next opponent, you know, Oh, did you play, you know, an app, you know, earlier in the season, how'd you guys do against them? You know, who, who was their guy? How good's their goalkeeper? That kind of thing. It's a special time. And, and we encourage the competitiveness. We encourage, you know, them to, to, you know, come together on those training nights for club and, uh, and battle it out there too, and, and try and earn their, their minutes, however they can. Man, at the end um, of the day, you want to see a good game. And then you yep. want to see all you want to see all the DFA players on the score sheet, yeah. right? That's all. That's what you want to see, right? If it's a, and it will happen. Game, it will you want to see three goals by DFA players, and there you go. Yep. Obviously, you want to see Dover beat CR every year. Every, 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 <laughs> We're just gonna leave that one. We're gonna leave that one there. <laughs> and Lab's not on the podcast to uh to to counterpoint us. <laughs> that could be the title of the podcast. 
<laughs> you're just trying to create enemies for me. Like I had, to, I had no skill in that game, man. <laughs> Look, Harrison, be like for real. <laughs> um, I mean, RJ, let's just uh, before we wrap up, quickly talk about the fact that uh, your your little rivalry against somebody that that's very close to you, you kick off against Apo. So yeah, so it's yeah, you, yeah, we you, do. You against, you against Lance. Um, so uh, so what is what is that like in general? Just to to play against somebody that you're you're super close with and uh, and have that be yeah. your first game of the season. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. I, I think we've been talking about it being the first game of the season since he got hired for for the girls back in you know whatever it was February or January. Um, about when the boys would be playing each other and, and, you know, when we would be, you know, matching up, you know, we, we talk about the girls and then the boys, but, you know, Lance is one of my closest friends and, you know, we, he just held a play day, um, yeah. you know, whatever day it was last week. It? And, um, you know, he's calling me up before the play day, you know, when are you going to play your, your top guys? When are you going to play your, you know, second guys? And we have that conversation and he's like, listen, I'm playing my top guys these days or these games and, and I want you to come watch, you know, give you a chance to watch my top group play and, and, you know, scout or whatever the case may be. But what it comes down to is, you know, I'm playing my top guys and, and he's on my bench and we're just talking tactics. He, he's, you know, one of my closest friends and one of the guys that like I'm calling after every game, no matter what, because, you know, he's a soccer guy. He gets it, understands, you know, whatever the, the stressors may be or, or the performance um, you know, to, to kick off against him and have him come to Sussex Academy, um, you know, a school that doesn't have football. So their fall sport, everything that they rally around the school is boys soccer. We'll put out probably 500, 600 people will come out to that game and pack a, a small stadium, the food trucks, there's a whole tailgate. And for it to be Lance, I know that they're going to be prepared. Uh, they're going to be well coached. And, you know, my guys are going to be ready and they're hungry this year. And I think that if Lance had a strong team at, at Caraval the last two years and the, the level of competition from him to, to myself was not equal, if you will. Um, and I think this year that it really will be. And for us to kick off against him, I get to see him first game of the year, you know, and, and I'm busting his chops. How well did you prepare your guys? Because game one, it's really about that, you know, three week preseason. You don't get to see too much of them until after that, you know, first couple of weeks of once the season starts. So I'll, I'll be busting his chops, but it's exciting. He's, he's one of my closest friends, and, and yeah, I'm ready for it. I mean, I wish it was tomorrow. I wish it was tonight. Hey, Sebastian. <laughs> I mean, you got a you got a game coming up against, uh, you know, Sussex Academy last game of the year, Seth, senior night, man. You got to be prepared. <laughs> five hundred. He said five hundred, six hundred people come out to his games. You got to pack the stadium. <laughs> food trucks and everything uh yeah i mean hey, i'm a middle town i'm a middle town guy I, I haven't even been on that campus yet so I, i'm excited to go there and play there it's a it's a cool it's a cool campus yeah it's our senior night first senior class so it'll be a, a little bit of be of a special uh a special a special game i think it'll be like that ted La that like one of those ted lasso episodes at the end there where they're all crying at the, right before the game starts so um yeah, I mean, I think it'll be, I think it'll be fun. I mean, I think it, it's, uh, we've we've been talking about this with the boys about, you know, why we want people to come out to our games and and what we want them to see and the excitement of it. And I think, um, 
I think that's what high school sports does, right? I think it's the idea that, especially for for that first senior night for us. Um, honestly, I I wish it wasn't against you guys, but uh, but but it'll it'll be fun. I mean, I think it'll be a, it'll be a good time. Um, you know, it'll be my first senior night coaching as a head coach. I was in the Middletown senior night last year, but this will be my first my first senior night as a head coach, and um, and you know, it's just hopefully I'm as prepared as I can be before the and. Listen, best case scenario at that point when we meet each other for game 14 of our season, uh, we're both in the playoffs and the game means <laughs> we can take it. <laughs> yeah, we're both locked in, right? Yeah, yeah that is the we're, both lock, we're both locked in and that's uh, that's that that'll be that'll be the best case scenario right there. So um, so the emotions can <laughs> don't have to be that much. Yeah, listen, it. that was us last year. We, last game of the year, we're down one nothing at halftime. We have to win to get in. And it's like, well, you know, what are you made of at halftime? There's no tactical talk. You're, you know, it's yeah. about how much heart you got to to come back and and you know get the job done. Yeah, no, I get it. I hope that we're secure by then as well. So yeah, <laughs> that yeah. is big of a game. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, plus, it's the day before Halloween. Like, who's trying to like? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. So, <laughs> yep. Um. Um, all right. Well, well, RJ, Josh, it's, it's been awesome to have you guys on. Uh, really appreciate it. And then, you know, best of luck with with not only uh, the club, but just everything you guys are doing and, uh, you know, uh, have fun, have fun having doing on your on your staff. Oh, we're, we're so- <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say there, man? <laughs> <laughs> but it took me three years, I think, to finally wrangle him back down, down, down in county. But we got him. Glad yeah. to have him back. Yeah, uh, this will be the first time in this will be the first fall season in like six years that Dwayne and I uh, are now wearing the same shirt. Yeah, um, yeah. So you gotta wear that. OD, you gotta wear that ODP jacket, man. I gotta wear that ODP jacket. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So this will be the first fall that we haven't coached. We haven't coached together in the last four years. I think we've actually coached together for the last four years. So, uh, yeah. so this will be this will be a little different start to the fall season. So. But but like RJ said, right? Like it, it's it's that like phone call or text message usually to Dwayne uh, right after a game long or like on my way out. Like yesterday, I called him literally on my way out of out of a desk out of practice, and I was like, "Hey, like here's what happened today," kind of thing. But um, but yeah, it's always it's always good to have that relationship with other people, regardless of what you know, club or or high school that they're that they're in. It's it's always good to have that relationship. So thank you guys so much for coming on. To really appreciate it. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. For thanks for having us. All right, Duane, what a super busy week in uh, soccer in the United States. All right, let's let's talk about that before we talk about the World Cup or the Women's World Cup. Um, so what has happened in the last two weeks since we recorded? Let's see. First of all, what was the World Cup final? Wasn't that last week? That was last Sunday, right? This past Sunday, less than a week this ago. past Sunday, okay. Yeah, less than a week. So, yeah, so got we'll- that. We'll talk about that in a second. Got the Leagues Cup final. Let's talk about the Leagues Cup, right? So uh, the last time we recorded, uh, we had, we were going to the Inter Miami Philadelphia Union game potentially, because that that night the Inter Miami and the Union played that night that Friday night. Um, that was big. Also, the beginning of my downhill physically. (laughs) That was right before that morning is when I got really sick. Um. And I didn't go to that Friday night game, uh, but the union, the union won. The union got to the semifinals uh, against Inter Miami, um, 
and and Messi came to Philadelphia. Um, and I will say, and is it has since changed? Uh, it has changed since then. But I will say that um, it, it was a really really cool atmosphere to be at Subaru Park when it's been that absolutely packed. Um, and at the same time, an interesting dynamic to hear. Like I understand the the Philly fandom of like supporting your local team. Um, I don't a hundred percent disagree. Uh, I don't hundred percent agree with the idea of like trash talking somebody that that at this point is is undeniable. Like it's he is the best player in the world. Uh, he has now done it everywhere he's gone, including the MLS. Um, what has he done in MLS? What do you mean? How? What has he done with the MLS? He hasn't, he hasn't played in MLS yet. Uh, technically, has not played in an MLS game. <laughs> he's played in the League's Cup. He's played in the uh, the Europe. He has not played a single MLS game. He has not played a single MLS Cup. And uh, MLS game. And according to some room, some rumors, he may not play in an MLS game uh, this weekend. Yeah, rest. Some rumors that he might not be traveling to to New York to play the Red Bulls, which would suck for those people that went went and bought those Red Bull tickets for like seven hundred dollars. Yeah, because nobody expected Miami to have this many games in a month. Yeah, he's played eight games in a month. Yeah, really. Um, Um, But I mean, for the Red Bulls fans, they're probably looking at the NYCFC tickets right now and saying, "When you guys play Miami?" Yeah. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, so to basically a shout out to the the guy that uh, that left a little early, um, wearing an Eagles jersey to the Union game, right in front of me that kept yelling "Messi sucks," and as soon as Messi scored the longest goal of his career, um, had nothing to say. Night, Andre Blake. Yeah, so I was like, like, um, you know the movie American Sniper? Yes, he was like the Argentinian sniper yeah there you go um so then from there uh from there inter miami goes to play um nashville nashville in the no no, no. sorry yeah the league's cup final nashville in the in the league's cup final um and again just messy doing messy things and then mpk's uh drake calendar comes up massive um the goal he, and the save. He's got to. He's got to be the number one for the U.S. Man, at this point, just just put him in. Um, you know, one's played this many games. No, he's a he's a goalkeeper with the most amount of games. Yes, he he's, I mean, he's, he's, he's an American um, goalkeeper with the most. He looks good. I mean, he he got called into camp for the Nations League, the the Concacaf Nations League final, right? And that's kind of the first time a lot of people heard his name. And then you're like, well, he plays. I know I was like, well, he plays on the worst team, so he's probably is getting a look because they're getting so many goals scored on him that all yeah. he is is probably saving everything. And then, um, and then uh, on uh, on Wednesday, uh, Inter Miami played uh, Cincinnati in the U.S. Open Cup semifinal. Uh, saved them. And Cincinnati goes up two nothing. Um, then it was then it was two one. Then it was three one, um, and then Messi in the last five minutes basically placed two passes to Campana's head that were like it might as well he might as well just walked it to his head and just dropped it on top of his head, 
Um, they were just that special. And then again, Drake Calendar comes up big, uh, and Kermanshi seals the deal. Kid, that kid is kid's good. good. Kid's good. That so kid. they'll play. So they'll play Houston uh, in the final um, this week. No, no. But it's, it is in Miami next week. It might be actually it might not be this time. It might be in a little bit. Uh, but they 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 are going to play that in Miami. Um, so Miami will Salt Lake lost. Yep. Yeah. So Houston won. Um. So yeah. I mean, that's been the the uh, well the ups the other upside is is that the Union they did beat Monterey, um, and are in the we'll be playing Champions League football. Champions League football next year. So um, it'll be it'll be really good. Yeah, I mean, I think for um, I mean, dude, that kid Cremanchi's good. He is. He's like for someone to get cut out of the the Miami Academy that brought back and brought back, and then like almost went to almost decided you, to almost decided to go to the college pathway that the MLS offers. Right. Um, but I mean, like, dude, him, like, he's been the best. Him and Jack McGlynn have been the two best young midfield midfielders in MLS that I've been able to see. I mean, there's probably some other names that I've probably missed just not being able to watch them all the time. But like yeah. those two right there, that's been good. Like, those are two teenagers that can play. Like that's the thing too. Like they're teenagers. Like they can and they yeah, can play team. 90 minutes and fit in there. Like Miami almost looked lost without, without him on the field. Yeah. Like it's kind of crazy to say that about like an 18, 19 year old. But yeah, man, that's been good. Um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what now Messi does when when they have to play in a now you're well, playing for points, which is hasn't been well, something they've had to do. That's the I think that's the big thing, right? So you look back to what they went to PKs with Dallas, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or did they end up beating Dallas in, in regular time? No, they went to PKs again, Dallas against Dallas. So you go to PKs with Dallas, you go to PKs with Cincinnati, right? So Nashville. and Nashville, right? So those are three games that they didn't quote unquote win in regular time. And I think the hard part for Miami now is in a regular season game, you get a point. They got a lot of ground to catch up being at the bottom of the table. A lot of people don't. I mean, you got to kind of remind people of that. Like, sure, they've, they've gone 8-0 since Messi's gotten there. But they've got a lot of ground to catch ninth place. Yeah, like, I mean, right now, right now, they're sitting at the bottom of the bottom of the table. They're down there, like, pretty down 18 there. 18 points. Right? 18, yeah, 18 yeah. points. Chicago's got 32 points. So, yeah. I mean, again, you're still, you're sitting um, 14 points behind. You got to win those games too. Like you can't. I don't know that they can really afford a lot of ties. You can't really drop points if they want to go to the playoffs. The upside, the upside, I think for Inter Miami is that your your schedule, um, in this half of the season, you end up playing. So you play. Um, so you, you play, don't have to play the Union play, anymore. So you played Red Bulls, right? So you played Red Bulls, which is which is good because that's a that's a direct competitor to your ability to get into the playoffs. Right, the Red Bulls are sitting at twenty nine points. They're trying to get in the playoffs, so it's a direct competitor that you can take points away from. Those are the like when you call them six point games, kind of thing. Yeah, there's a six point game. Um, you play Nashville, boom. That's a that's a direct competitor. Then you play LAFC and Sporting Kansas City coming out of the West Coast. 
um, or the Western Conference. So that's a little bit of a difference. Um, but then you play, you still got to play Atlanta, which again is sitting at 38 points. They're in the they're in the seventh seed right now, but you know, things change. So that's a direct competitor. Then you play Toronto, uh, who is just as bad as you from a from a points perspective right now. So it's a huge game for you to win. Then you play uh Orlando, um, which is towards the top of the league. Um, but a rivalry again, game. a rivalry game. Then the inter, then the the US US Open Cup final, which is going to be September twenty seventh. Uh, yeah. Which is also not the day that they rescheduled the Union game for. Yeah, it's Wednesday. Yeah, it's Wednesday. So, but like, you got to think about that, right? Like, you got now you throw a final into like this. Well, so you play Orlando before you play the final, and then you play NYCFC three days later. So, how do you make like those could potentially be three really like. So NYCFC, who's also down this year. Then you play Chicago, who is right now in the ninth seed. That's a guy, that's a team you're trying to catch. Then you play Cincinnati, who's at the top of the league. Um, and then you play Charlotte, who is towards the bottom as well. So realistically, out of your all of your games that you have left. So right now, Inter Miami in the MLS is one, two, four, six. 8, 10, 11 games left. Out of the 11 games, nine of them are against East Coast or East uh, East Conference opponents. And you got to so, hope, hope for teams to drop points because you got to get into that nine seed to get into that play-in game, right? Yes. Nine seed gets you into that eight versus nine, which is kind of like the baseball. But again, part. the upside is, is that you play out of the nine games that you play, you play one, two, three, four, five five teams that are currently in the playoffs so you can make some teams drop points and if you can play chicago like it might come down to the last game to the to one of the last games of the season which is uh is chicago and it might come down to that yeah because i mean i'm not looking at the table right now but i mean i'm pretty sure there's lower those teams at the like seven eight nine they're probably really tight when it comes to points Actually, no. Atlanta six points ahead of Montreal. What you what you have some tight teams in is Montreal, Chicago, DC, and Red Bulls are all within three points of each other. And then Charlotte and NYCFC are only three points behind the Red Bulls. And then after that, you have Toronto and Miami further. Well, back. actually, yep. Miami, Miami's got two or three games in hand too. They've only played twenty two games. Yes. Yeah, so you have more games than anybody else. So right now, let's just say you were to uh because they couldn't play they couldn't play this they couldn't play the League's Cup when everybody came back for the League's Cup and they couldn't really play on Wednesday because yeah. they had the final. Gotcha. Yeah. So let's just so say you're right now, right now, let's just say Atlanta, for example. Actually, let's just say Chicago and Montreal, right? So you're two points behind the you're two games behind them. So let's just say you win those two games. You go from being at 18 points. Um to now being at 24 points. Um, oh, you're still, 15th to 14th. <laughs> yeah, you go from 15th to 14th. But 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 now all of a sudden your 14 points is gone down to to eight, right? Like so it's yeah. a different mentality. Now you have you're only eight points. So now Chicago goes on a three-game losing streak. Um, I mean, you're you're in at that point. I mean, Chicago still has to play Galaxy, Vancouver, DC, Montreal, Columbus. So there's there's a lot going on there. Um, Chicago's a windy city, man. It's going to be a tough place to play once uh, 
It turns into a fall. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. Well, let's talk about the Women's World Cup. Um, so, Women's World Cup, um, a fantastic performance from Spain, I thought. Um, I think um, I think Erps did a fantastic job in the goal for England. But ultimately, Spain, I think, outside of the Japan game, was the most consistent team across the entire World Cup. Um, I thought they were super dominant in and even the way they played um, against England. I just think it's just really good style of play. Uh, it suits them possession, not really like just being super sure of what they're doing in their um, with the ball. And that's with Alexia Patea is still not 100 percent and barely like getting very limited minutes. So now, so I'm super happy for Spain. I think that's fantastic considering two years ago they didn't really have a standard league that no they they've made I mean from the last World Cup they've made strides massive massive like massive strides um unfortunate that the entire World Cup or women's World Cup or the Spain win has been tainted by uh Luis Rubiales uh who is the president of the Royal Spanish Football Federation uh for being an absolute moron and an idiot um for deciding that it, he thought it would be appropriate to I already when I was watching it, I was like, this is weird. Like this guy's out there just like flat out, like kissing the players on the cheek, like super aggressively and like multiple kisses and then grabs Jenny Hermoso and like gives her a kiss on the lips. Like, what are you doing, man? Like in what world do you think that's okay? I don't know, man. That guy guy is, um, I will say that it's great that Spain won the World Cup, but they've got to look look at their internal structure and uh, definitely make some changes. Because I think well, the guy the guy is apparently supposed to be resigning today because uh, FIFA opened up a a file on him and they were going to investigate him in general. So he he's decided to step down, or he is going to be stepping down, which is good because that guy needs to not be involved in in any sort of uh, soccer that involves people or women and and just in general not be around people uh yeah i mean i think it's i think it's that's something that you know spain is in the you know they're in the news for the right reasons and then he kind of tarnishes everything there in the absolutely and then you go off to say that like it was just a passionate thing between friends it's like nah man like that's not okay like you can't rationalize something that like that like you made a mistake like you shouldn't have done that you can't yeah. rationalize it. Um, Especially with everything else going on. I mean, yeah, you just can't. it comes at a bad time, right? Like you got the the whole like Mason Greenwood thing with Manchester United, and yes. that's coming around at the same time because a lot of the the players from England play for Manchester United, so they apparently they wanted input. Manchester United wanted to provide input from them based on whether they should bring Greenwood back to the table or not. Yeah um so yeah so uh but congratulations to spain that is my my player of the match award it goes out to to spain for winning the world cup and and also england in general and just i think in general the world cup um which is a really really i like the new i like the 32 team format i think it's i think it's great for the women's game um so it's it's fantastic that we had a, it was a very successful world cup in my opinion so yeah i mean yeah, I mean it was it was good. I mean, can't wait for it to be back on this time zone. Yeah, I know. But there was no. It was so inconsistent too, because there was even different time zones between New Zealand and Australia that were that were tough. 
Um, so yeah, sometimes and, and the other, five, sometimes a four, sometimes a three. Well, the other part where it was, you know, they were guesstimating when the U.S. was going to play, expecting yeah. to win the group. So instead of playing at like ten o'clock our time, they were playing at like four a.m. Like yeah. that's the tough part. It's great. It, it's great, but that's always the tough. I mean, I guess it's the tough part for anybody anywhere, depending on where the World Cup is. But yeah. um, not looking forward to the next one. Yeah, in the right time zone. Um. Well, more more friendly. I'll be four years older. I might not be going to bed <laughs> like two a.m. anymore. Um. Who's your player of the match? Player of the match gonna go out to my my young boys, the DFA twenty ten boys. Um. Responded well with the fitness test. Um. So put it into context. Wanted to do a fitness test last Monday, which is supposed to be our first day of training. Thunderstorms. And I was going to do it on Tuesday. Thunderstorms. Did it on Wednesday. Wednesday, I think, was a little bit, it was the, obviously the hottest day just because there was no storms, no cloud cover. Um, and I think the heat really like kind of hit them from yeah. running the Manchester United's, you know, running 10 sprints, 10 hundred yard sprints in, in uh, basically 10 minutes, getting a three minute break and then going into the, um, the timing portion of it where you got to get down in a certain amount of time and come back in a certain amount of time. Um, so we ran it again on Wednesday, Wednesday night, when it was a little bit cooler, and they responded uh, really well. Had good. five kids actually complete the entire test, which was, which is good. It's good. It's really good. They, a lot of them met the threshold, which was good. Um, but I had five kids really push themselves. Should have been six. One of the knuckleheads didn't realize that you had to run it three times at the end. <laughs> so he was over there so dude's over there celebrating <laughs> and the other kids are still running he's like oh wait i was supposed to run it two more times i was like <laughs> come on man five other kids heard the instructions you're over there and thought you won the gold medal or something <laughs> um yeah all right well on this day in soccer history um i got i got two for you uh one uh, once a little more personal. So August 25th, 2011, uh, my wife and I started dating officially. Uh, so Dude, I saw that on Facebook. I said, man, I felt like you already had an anniversary this year. Cause you said you had my wedding anniversary, it. my wedding anniversary. Yeah. You're one of them people that I feel like you have two birthdays a year, two anniversaries a year, but your birthday is in like November. Mine's in November. Yeah. I don't know why I think it's at the beginning of the year. It's no, weird. No, it's you got one of weird birthdays. Yeah. Um, <laughs> your birthdays have a birthday in November. Have a pretty yeah, popular, one bad, like two, it feels like you have two birthdays. It feels I have like a pretty popular birthday. birthday. Um, a lot of people have my birthday. Um, so yeah, so uh, August 25th, 2011. So, um, again, I think without without that happening, I don't know that this podcast exists because I wouldn't be in Delaware. So, uh, so a lot of a lot of it is so to that. Um, August 25th, 2011 was probably getting killed in preseason. <laughs> um all right and then august 25th 1928 Dwayne. yeah is that your uh birthday is that <laughs> the day you were born 1928 uh arsenal uh who at the time were playing division one of the football league was playing in sheffield wednesday and chelsea who at the time were playing division two of the football league um division two this year <laughs> <laughs> uh was playing against swansea uh it was the first uh the first football league teams to have numbers um on the back of their their shirts uh so arsenal and chelsea 
um, were were the first two to have numbers in the back of their jerseys to help identify players. Now look at us now. Look at us now, man. Now we fight for numbers. Um, yeah, I mean, you got you still got um. Who am I thinking of? Um, Balde from Barcelona is still waiting for his contract to be registered so he can change numbers. Yeah. Now we got a number system. Yeah, and back in those days, I think you still had like if you go back through some of the like the World Cups in the seventies and the eighties, um, the jerseys were actually assigned by uh, position. No, they were by signed by last name. Mm. So your number, your number was was in accordance to where you fell in the alphabetical order. So you know A's were had the lower numbers, and you know Z's had the higher numbers. So. Um, last name so I can get my number. And then before that, it was before that it was uh it was by position. So only numbers one through eleven could start. So you would actually swap jerseys every game. You wouldn't be consistently having the same number. You still see some countries do that from time to time. International games that like international friendlies, I should say. Not that I think the international friendlies are getting phased out. Yeah. Which yeah. is a shame. It is. Um all right, the Germany, Mexico tickets. Huh? You get Germany Mexico tickets? Germany Mexico. Yeah, you didn't get that email? No, I didn't get that email. I mean, I might have. I may have overlooked it this week. The Union, the, the Germany and Mexico are playing in Philly in October. Oh. oh. And we got a we got a nice little discount. Oh, okay. I might have to check that out. Is that oh, Super that Park or is that the, yeah, at the link? Late game. Or is it a link at the link or is it at the link, yeah. Oh, it's a far drive. <laughs> <laughs> That's the crazy part. I, I did think it was further when I was coming from Penn's Landing to the game on Sunday. I was like, oh, it's only 20 minutes? Yeah. Oh, nice. um, yeah, Penn's Landing is a new spot before the games. Okay. Uh, for us. All right. So uh, the Dance Name is Fair Play of the Week award. Um, my goes, mine goes out to um, to the Odessa boys. Um, just just been they've, been, they've been, they've been doing a good job of adapting to uh team building which is something that they weren't i don't think they were used to as much so um so yeah so the team building and self-awareness is huge so i thought you were gonna say they got that dog in them <laughs> we'll, we'll get the dog at him we're ducks man we're not dogs we're ducks we're just trying to be duck what's the, what's the biggest duck in the world uh, i don't know mallard maybe i don't know that's a good question right i don't yeah. know uh, here, I'll look it up while you tell me your your dance team is fair play a week ago. Uh, mine is going to go out. Gonna keep it with the uh, DFA. Shout out to all the coaches, man. Um, been very supportive of me. Uh, Make it a point to to just welcome me and then reach out. You know, I had a couple. I had a coach um, who actually coached my cousin in basketball growing up. Um, reach out to me. He was like, "Yo, I need that fitness test that you're running." <laughs> <laughs> He said, I, he said, you, you know, there's nothing with kind words. Had another coach say, oh, I see you move that fitness test. So I have to practice trying to get that dog. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to find that dog and, and my players. So just a lot of the coaches have been very supportive and just welcoming. Good. So that's always good. Um, it's taking notice. Good. Um, largest duck in the world, uh, Muscovy duck. Yeah, that's a, I'm looking at him. Uh, 15, 15 pounds. It's a big 15 pound duck. Yeah, so uh, we're the fifteen punk, fifteen pound duck in the room. <laughs> Wait, hold on, no, 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 no. The duck weighs eight thousand pounds. 
8,000? Yeah, he was just in Maryland. 8,000? Yeah, this Muscovy. Doing 8,000 pounds? Oh, you're talking about the real duck, not the rubber duck. The rubber duck? No, I don't want a rubber duck. Oh. No one, no one cares about a giant rubber oh, duck. Here's the, no, sorry. The way my Google was set up, it said number one largest duck, Muscovy. And then it had a picture of this big old rubber duck next to it. <laughs> no, no, so no. I'm like, yo, there ain't no way this duck weighs 15 pounds. No, no, no. No, we're talking about uh we're we're talking about the Muscovy duck who's uh massive 15 pounds. Uh oh, yeah, the males are larger than the females, and they can be up to 31 inches. Um they're native to America. Uh, they thrive in cold conditions and they can be found in swamps and lakes and streams. Can't um, be a Muscova. Can't be a Muscovy in uh, Argentina, though. They're not, uh, they're not down there. Why not? They're not. I'm looking at the map. Oh. <laughs> um, they, right, well, they don't go down there. Well, for more duck information, make sure you follow us on Instagram at DE Soccer Podcast, <laughs> at D Soccer Podcast well, for all your, for your duck needs. Um, uh, well, thanks for joining us this week. And remember, always receive the ball on your front foot.